Hello, and welcome to CineDrunk, the podcast where we're drunk on cinema and alcohol, obviously. Uh, I'm your host, Matt, joined by Nathan. Hello. Yes, and Elizabeth. Welcome. We're celebrating what? We are celebrating the best time of the year, our top 10 lists of 2016. Now, I know what you're thinking, but you guys, it's February of 2017, but we go by Oscar sort of qualifying runs. Right, the year doesn't end until Oscar night. Yeah, no, it really doesn't. Also, chances are you're listening to this in 2027 at like the National Library Archives or something. Oh, probably of yeah. Congress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. or of, in your underground bunker where of we've worlds all gone. Congress. So, <laughs> you know, uh, it is what it is. It is what it is. So we are going to. Start. This will be a two-part series because we are quite excited about our top ten. So this will be ten through six, mm-hmm. um, and then we'll be back with five through one. But what are we uh, sipping on? We are sipping on Triumph, yes. which is something I strive to do daily. <laughs> uh, we don't win anymore. No. <laughs> I mean, believe me. So... <laughs> This is in honor of one Viola Davis. Yes. Um, it's a drink that has violet liqueur, which is really the only connection it has to Viola Davis, but who needs more connection because she is God. Uh, Bow down. Yeah. It's a, it's a, you know, martini-ish of sorts. Mainly gin, a little bit of vermouth, cherry brandy, a dash of violet liqueur, a maraschino berry. It's beautiful. It's it like a tinge lavender. Mm-hmm. It's a very Just pretty a light. It's almost like a sci-fi lavender. Like if, like, like if Sigourney Weaver in Alien were to paint a painting, <laughs> it would probably be this shade of lavender. I wish they hadn't cut that scene out of Alien where Sigourney Weaver just painted. Oh. It's an important part of knowing oh, this is controversial. Story. <laughs> uh, okay, should we get into it? Let's. Yeah. Um, I'll start just because uh, I just had some things to ponder before getting in, that will lead into my ten. Um, but I, when we briefly discussed this. I had a hard time coming up with my ten mm-hmm. because even though I didn't necessarily think it was a bad year for film, I just it was hard to find ten movies that I was passionate about. Though we had the same thesis last year, and by the time we were done with our top ten list, we were like, no, never mind, we liked 2015 a lot. Or we were just drunk enough that we were like, yay, everything (laughs) is wonderful. Oh, simpler times, simpler times. Um, I'm also curious, just always, we have very similar tastes, the three of us, but it's interesting to see where we overlap and where we don't, and I think we will see, obviously, at the very end that we all three have the same number one, but obviously we don't know that for sure. And I don't think even two of us have had the same number one in the last, like, ten years, so... No. Interesting We haven't see. known each other for ten years, but okay. Well, yeah, but we've discussed our <laughs> film opinions. <laughs> you and I have known each other for more than ten years. Oh. I get it. I am not part of this. Anyhow, but maybe it was difficult to find that passion because I was just... I mean, it's the end of the year, and with everything that's going on in the world, yeah. it's been hard to find just hope well i would just say that is like i went through i i my top like five six my my top six were pretty like settled Mm -hmm. and then like seven through 15 were all in flux at various points so like 
the ones that ended up out of my top 10 at various points were in my top 10 and could kind of go back and right. forth. But everything is definitely the way I took in entertainment this year, the way I took in film was, you know, shadowed by what was going on in the world. So. Exactly. Which brings me to my number See, 10. No, oh, can, no can, I was going to yeah. say for me that manifested in having a more personal connection to more. Yes. Mm-hmm. This year, like it, it was harder for me to pick a, top 10 because it was harder for me to exclude 11, 12, 13, 14, Same. 15, 16. And it wasn't because they were so great. It was that <gasps> Scout. Oh my goodness. My <laughs> so one of their casts just like really felt strongly about what we were talking about and kind of jumped all over me. But that's all right. There's Continue. a spilled drink and okay. It's okay. a bleeding stump. Um, <laughs> Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, that. Uh, what happened. was I saying? Your personal. personal <laughs> wow. Reaction to, uh, um, to film. Yeah, I think maybe I retreated into films more this year. Yeah. And that might be the simplest simplest explanation. So it'll it's interesting. I mean, I, I, I'm interested in what I will think about my top 10 a year from now. Because I think it yeah. will. I will second guess it quite a bit. Perhaps, perhaps. Anyhow, so I was talking about like a lack of hope, but now I have a new hope. My number 10 is Rogue One, a Star Wars oh. story, um, which, I mean, it's not one of the 10 best of the year. Nathan's giving a thumbs I'm down kidding. sign, and you I liked it I too. It. I don't know, I was on such a high, we saw a Christmas day with like good company and family, and it was just such a fun movie going experience and it was something I didn't get out of The Force Awakens Um, but I don't know what I'm saying about Rogue I'm so distracted by the 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 now like alcohol stain all over your track jacket that you're wearing now my (laughs) nicest clothing (laughs) your podcasting outfit what do you mean we're in black (laughs) ties I wouldn't have worn my ball (laughs) gown if I had known that was going to happen I just had such a great time in the movie theater seeing Rogue One. That was and fair. Especially after a year where I felt like most of the blockbusters were really disappointing. Or I just agree not with that. very good. It was it just put me on such a rush as we were walking out of the theater, I whispered to you, I was like, I fucking loved that. That's my favorite Star Wars movie. I've come down since then, but I still wanted to keep it in my top ten list because it just made me happy and ending with I mean, spoiler alert for the, like, three people that haven't seen it. Just the Carrie Fisher and saying hope. And uh, it got to me. And that was, like, a day or two after her heart incident. And then, of course, she passed. But she was still alive. There was hope in the world right before the year ended. And then there wasn't. Um, But the movie just... Obviously, everyone is very familiar with the Star Wars universe. And it doesn't really exist on its own if you have no knowledge of Star Wars, so that's definitely a knock against it because I'm I'm a person who's very much so I should be able to sit in a film and have no outside knowledge. I mean, certainly that can help. That, like, extra textual stuff can can help, but that's a knock against it. But there were actual stakes, like, just that it showed the, like, grittier, messy side of this rebellion. I agree with all that, yeah. You know, that there's not just good and evil, but that even the side of good has, you know, people that are more on the fringes and more reactionary. And it just was a beautiful peek behind the curtain of of the rest of that, like, glossy franchise. 
and I was a fan. Now, you may have already said this because I wasn't listening, but <laughs> <laughs> how much... I've heard a lot of people say this, mm-hmm. something like this. How much of why you liked it do you think might have been related to it being so much different from the other six in terms of characters and location and whereas the other especially like oh sorry the other seven right yeah yeah so (laughs) especially like in comparison to um whatever the new one was that came out force awakens (laughs) force awakens being so similar in a lot of ways to a new hope too similar in in my right do you think that part of why you liked this so much was that it wasn't that again i think i think part of the reaction to that that i didn't respond to was people especially because the prequels were so bad that people had just built up all this anticipation that they just wanted to love a star wars movie so much that they did and i feel like it was overrated and then this one still kind of feels like an underdog story well, just as a reminder last year force awakens was number was six for me I and um and I was not a person who was like, I want to love a Star Wars movie again. That's true. I didn't have a particular attachment to the original trilogy, and I thought the prequels were awful, but I wasn't highly invested. And again, I not not to be like, it's because I'm a woman, but I think there was something about Force Awakens that was so exciting about the character of Rey, mm-hmm. which was so new and felt so... I mean, I've talked about it with Nora, who is a guest of the pod. The moment at the end of that movie... Is she a heptapod, though? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Spoiler. Sorry. <laughs> the movie at the... The moment at the end of that movie when, like, the lightsaber sails past into Ray's hand mm-hmm. and it's just this, like, huge moment. We've never seen a woman, like, even be a Jedi in those movies. Like, to me, that meant something and made me get goosebumps. Whereas the thing that I think... I mean, I liked Rogue One, but I think what I didn't respond to was that I didn't like Felicity Jones's character. And I thought she was very, okay. like, a man trying to write a tough female character. And that's that kind of what like I thought of Rey. I felt like no Rey... Substance. I thought Force Awakens, all of those characters were so closely archetypal to the, A New Hope. Like, she was the Skywalker, and like Fair they enough. all sort of had those qualities that it was like, I know this story... Already, and no, this and one, it was, it was, it was similar. Sure. Like, a, it, it felt like a Star Wars movie, but yeah. it was still just at the just the simple fact of like making it a real, like a grittier war movie. Yeah, no, I liked all really that. Just I really made me really, all that. Yeah. really appreciate. Then, in retrospect, the whole franchise. Now, in retrospect, now I'll say that it's not my favorite Star Wars film, four and five, and then this would be next for me. But yeah, that's my number ten. Nice. Spend a lot of time on that, but yeah. that's Rogue One. Can I just say one quick pet peeve I have about... Because I did overall really like it, positive on the movie. I'm mad that they made it a female lead character and then literally had no other women. I mean, there were like the moment of Carrie Fisher and the one mom well, boss yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And I was so irritated because in Force Awakens, there's a point that in the extras running around, there are women who are extras and it looks equally male and female. That scene where she's like... I'm going, and then her little crew shows up, and all of the extra people go to be like, yes, I'm going on the suicide mission, we're all men. And I was so irritated that it's like, why does it always have to be just one woman? At least it was a diverse group of men. 
But yeah, no, I I know. I, know I mean, I they could have been extras. They didn't even have to have speaking. But why not in that big group? That's like we're gonna come with you. Have some fucking ladies in it. Anyways, that's my little one pet peeve. But let's move on. <laughs> that was my number ten. What Elizabeth is your number ten? My number ten is a very timely film with a female lead. <gasps> it is also animated, and it is Zootopia. Mm. Woo! Judy Hopps. Try Hops. everything. I. Shakira. Loved that movie. I had wanted to see it in the theater and then we missed it. And so I ended up watching it on an airplane. Ooh. An and airplane. I like They have cried. films on an airplane? <laughs> I cried at places. Yeah. Um, the mystery of the film really works, which I enjoyed because I love a good like mystery buddy cop film. Mm-hmm. And it does that genre really, really well. Judy Hopps is such a great female protagonist and that she is fallible and we see her make mistakes and we see her you know prejudge and it just is such a timely movie like in the era of 45 just all i'm gonna say because i don't even want to say his name and just all of the racial tension that's been happening and between policing and everything and it's so smart without ever being super preachy it was something that I enjoyed as an adult, but I could see how kids would love it. Right. It has one of my favorite openings ever when Judy is performing the like avant-garde play as a child about predators oh, yes. and like throwing <laughs> oh, like God, red so blood <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> like at that moment I was like, Oh, I'm I'm into this. I'm into this. Yeah. I loved the world building that it did and so yeah, seamlessly. And the animation. And the animation was great. I just really, really love Zootopia. It spoke to me. I don't have much more to say beyond that. I still think about that movie. I watched it again on Netflix. All I want to say, besides I love it, and now I've... I mean, I, I like both of these movies that you've mentioned so far, and that's what makes this year hard for me, partially. But my favorite part of Zootopia is the um, flamboyantly gay tigers. Yeah, the yes. backup dancers. The backup, backup dancers. <laughs> I mean, it's revolutionary. Just, it kind of is, though. I mean, they're so gay, and it's so beautiful. It's such a good note to end on. Yeah. I know, and it's so happy. I mean, it's gay in every sense of the word. Yes. Yeah, agreed. I, I really liked it when it didn't make my list, but just to throw in another runner-up uh for some reason when it came down to animated films of the year the one that kept coming back for me was moana me and too that ended up being my favorite animated film of the year i'm not sure why but it, it just stuck with me i think it was really yeah really wonderful yeah mm-hmm. all right what is your 10 nathan my number 10 is sing street ah. hmm. um which i i'm gonna you know wager that it's going to come up again but um sing street is my was my first love of 2016 (laughs) it was my first favorite (laughs) film of the year Mm -hmm. it's just charming yep very uh that is one of its greatest achievements um i also love that so so sing street is a musical um a contemporary musical in the vein of what? I don't know. I mean, it's the same director as Once mm-hmm. and... Begin Again. Begin Again. 
Um, it's set in Ireland. That's my Irish. <laughs> <laughs> and a spotless I, Irish accent. To do I, there. I starred in the Sing Street. Uh, um, in the strings. So, so I had heard about this movie going in, and it was, you know, teenage boys or high school boys in a band, and I was like, no, this sounds awful. I'm going to sleep through this. So that's part of, you know, what wowed me in the beginning was just my low expectations. But one of the things that I loved especially about it was um, that the songs, the original songs were so great, but that they also really made sense for the characters and their age. Uh-huh. And, you know, it really felt like, okay, brilliant kids this age in this situation would write songs like this. Yeah. Yes. They're not, like... Adult songs. Just totally out of nowhere, which I feel like is so common in uh, musicals. Um, right. Like, I've, I've never picked up a guitar before, but a day later, here's a... Grammy winning right 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 and and it's not that's not like a knock at all it's just they they really it was hand in glove as once upon a mattress will teach you Um, (laughs) (laughs) and then the other thing I love about it which is a little catty of me is that it's the perfect antidote to the La La Land apologists who claim that there's like never been a movie like this before. I'm like, la, 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 la. Yeah, I mean, I think, watch Sing Street. Shut up. I think all three of us are in agreement that La La Land La-la, is that, BS. That Sing Street is the superior musical released in 2016. Yes, far and away. We'll talk about that again. Yeah. Anyway, Sing Street yes, was sure. just charming, and you should see it. And it's just wonderful fun. Agreed. Tis. Agreed. I'll probably talk more about it later. Yes. Yeah. What's... Uh, I should yeah. go. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. My number nine um, is Loving. The Jeff I'm Nichols loving that pick. film. Um, it really, really worked for me. I actually loved how... I know a lot of complaints about the movie are about how sort of quiet and understated it was. But that completely worked for me. And I felt their humanity and I felt their love for each other in a way that I feel like is rare in movies because so often a central relationship is the source of conflict for the story going forward. And of course it's not. The conflict is the external situation around them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that the film does a really great job of actually showing how people are affected by these sort of draconian laws or situations in their lives in a way that I feel like other movies, it's about the struggle and it's dramatized to this big point. And it's kind of like, no, that's not really how people live your life. Like you don't live your life experiencing high moments of drama all the time. And so instead it was like in the little things, seeing that they weren't living close to their family, like seeing that they weren't getting to raise their children the way they wanted to have them raised. Um, seeing the ease with which they had they had with each other in their physicality whenever they would interact with each other like it all just felt so real and so deep and I just when the movie ended I just felt it so deeply and especially in this moment to think that we're only 50 years out of people of different you know what I mean it's just it, it it's definitely one of those movies that probably we saw it I think a week after the election so um, 
Was it? I feel like it was before, but it must have been It was after. after. And so it was just, you know, all of the sort of context of the world that we were currently living in. Yeah. I personally am in an interrelation, interracial relationship and to think that like, you know, in my mother's lifetime, like that would not be legal. Like it's, yeah. it, I just found it deeply moving and I think both lead performances were absolutely wonderful. So loving is my number nine. I'm loving that pick. I felt, and we discussed this after we saw it, I felt like they were the both leads are kind of ciphers in their own story. I didn't feel like I learned that much about either of them as characters, but that's also kind of the point. A lot it was right. it was all intentional and right. meticulously done. It's very well executed and yeah. it, and ultimately very moving. And has my favorite cameo of the year. Michael, Michael Shannon, Shannon in one scene is like totally un Michael Shannon, first off. Yeah, very charming. And like kind and yeah. Yeah. He's really great. Mm-hmm. Nathan, you're number I'm, nine. When you say totally on Michael Shannon, I'm picturing the main character in the music band. <laughs> <laughs> Harold you got Hill. Shrub- Harold Hill, thank you. I would love <laughs> to see a production of the music band. Michael, Michael Shannon, Shannon as Harold oh. Hill. I would, especially if he can't sing at all. I would I'm financing it now. That music. <laughs> I'm in. And you're like, oh god, he's gonna kill her. Yeah, he's exactly. <laughs> It becomes a I mean, I movie. kind of felt that way anyway during that uh, during the music show. Game? Yeah, oh, so I, like I felt like a sexual awakening. I feel like, that song. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. What's your number nine? David? Speaking of sexual awakening, my number <laughs> my number nine is Lion. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay, I get, Dev, I get yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay, the first thing I have written here, I I know it's shocking that I have notes written. Um, Dev Patel makes me roar, which is like, <laughs> groan. Is, it's do you get because it's called Lion? I, yes, and, no, I got oh. that. And he has like a mane of oh, hair. Oh, yeah. I totally M A N E. By Thank the way, you. Um, <laughs> no. So Lion really surprised me because I think it's quite traditional in a lot of its methods, um, and so normally I sort of hoidily look down on that um but it really worked and i think it was the smart move for this story um and and even though it was sort of traditionally told in some ways it was still artfully told and well told Mm -hmm. for sure so it wasn't it didn't need to be some you know revolutionary weird thing like under the skin or something right (laughs) um so i loved just how easy it was to lose yourself in the story the performances were all great the cinematography was delicious um some of the great you know child perform well one of the great child performances of the year which there were many Mm um yes and uh yeah i i I think, um, speaking of Gudu, 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 Mm -hmm. Sonny Power, who spoke those lines, is the Jacob Tremblay of 2016. For sure. Yeah, kudos to the casting director for finding him. I mean, there was a lot of really great casting work last year, and that was one of them. Also, just the, like, the sort of steadfastness of Garth Davis to really have the first hour of the film be a fo- essentially a foreign language film. Right. When you like have I, Nicole Kidman yeah. and Dev Patel in your movie, but you need to luxuriate in creating the the stakes and the character yeah. that you will have an unknown right. 
Indian boy right carry your story yeah which I think made it not feel so like exploitative or true tear jerky like Oscar bait because it felt like it was invested in telling the story rather than like playing emotions off of famous actors the only thing that was maybe like not treacly or manipulative is neither is the right word but when you find out at the end why it's called spoiler I'm yeah Yeah, I'm not saying it it should, shouldn't work, but everything before it is so grounded, and, and I was already crying. I mean, it's a yeah. tearjerker. You're already crying. Just like, because it yeah. shouldn't work doesn't re- mean it does The reason work. it's nominated for several Oscars is because it'll make any grown man cry. Yeah. But just, I lost it. I lost it. disagree completely that that's the reason that it's... No, that's not the only reason, but I if, think it if you're a film that... Right, yeah. if you're a, a movie that connects well emotionally, um, right. as well as this movie does, then... You're going to get nominated for some awards, whether you're good or bad, but this one, thankfully, is good. Yeah, agreed. A good choice. Uh, Mine number nine um, is a movie I, for some reason, just couldn't shake. We saw it recently, but it was just mesmerizing, and that's American Honey, Um, Andrea Arnold's film. Um, She is British, and she's made a few... Did you not know she was British? I'm just shocked that this is on your list and very oh. happy. Continue. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> I just love it. Only a, a Brit could like portray the U.S. so well, like just because she's removed. It. So this is um, a, an independent film um, with mostly unknowns, but it does have Shia LaBeouf and Riley Keough, who's Ooh. Elvis's granddaughter, FYI. Um I just, I mean, there really isn't Didn't much like of a Elvis, plot. Don't like Rob. No, just kidding. She's great. <laughs> there really isn't much of a plot. There, it's um, based on like a New York Magazine article or a New York Times article that she had read years ago about magazine crews, like people that just like young people mostly that just get in vans and are traveling around the U.S. trying to sell magazines, and that's like how they make enough money. Young really. lower class yeah. white people, definitely for the most poor, part. mostly southern, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, disenfranchised Rural. youth. Drug addicts, meth, meth yeah, yeah, people who don't come from much privilege, and it so it could be you know her as a probably middle class or upper class Brit, like filming that could be like exploitive or there's her right. her gaze on it could be disingenuous, but it's not, and it's almost three hours, but it doesn't feel like it. I could have sat for three more hours in this movie. It was just so mesmerizing, um, and just similar to. Moonlight, which I'm sure we'll get to later. Um, it's just like a, this honest, empathetic look at a life that we is like parallel to our own. Like it's it's happening, especially in this country, but it's not a, of our experience. But I feel like just watching this gives you a taste, and it just it like how people can still be not empathetic humans in this country. Like just right. watch things like this, gain some experience outside of yourself um and any movie that has a lot of songs the soundtrack is mostly great and there are several like sing-alongs in the van like as they're going along that will always get me (laughs) like almost famous singing tiny dancer this they've got several good sing-alongs but namely the the title song by lady antebellum and Mm. it just works for me it's a good and the sasha lane who's the lead andrea arnold found her like on a beach while she was on spring break in i think florida or one of the carolinas and She's a find. She is. A, it's a really great lead performance, and I shouldn't like Shia LaBeouf, but I am so he gets me so excited as an actor. I am so interested in anything that he does next. 
I really want to see it. I, I really liked Andrea Arnold's Fish Tank. Yes. In that case. So she does, her films are very much, um, seem to be anchored in like the lower yeah. class. Maybe that is where she comes from. I'm not, I'm yeah, not I don't sure. actually know what her background is. She but also that has an is... Oscar for a short film called Wasp. That's really good. You should try to find that. It's yes. very similar. Just young, younger actors like looking for their drug addicted or alcoholic mother and yeah. like, lower lower class yeah brain. and for fish tank she found her lead the girl Katie like on Jarvis. a, on so a subway station yeah most of this film she cast with the casting director just on like wandering around in like 7-elevens and stuff and you yeah. can tell they're all so richly drawn because i'm sure they're very close to who they they right. are their experiences yeah interesting but yeah it's worth checking out american honey i think uh nathan you're up with number eight <clears throat> Well, fancy that. My number eight is American Honey. Never heard of it. Um, I also have not been able to shake this movie. Um, it it reminded me so much of some of you know the people I grew up with in rural Minnesota. Uh, you know, very white, very poor overall. Um, and with some of this, some of the same struggles, some of the same hopes, some of the same dreams, like not something that I personally can relate to, but I've also, but I have exposure to it. And so it's still, the fact that it still rang true to me is a testament to the movie making. Yeah. Um, yeah. You could like smell the county fair watching this movie. Like, yeah, it's so lived in. Um, it was like a song. I mean, yep. there were a lot of songs in it, but it was like listening to a song. Um, Sasha Lane is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the interesting things, uh, well, first of all, it's very. American, like, yes, <laughs> very Americana. Like we, Matt and I are married. Spoiler alert! Spoiler <gasps> alert! And we had um, movie genres as our wedding tables. I don't know if that makes sense, but one of them was like oh, yeah. was Americana. Like, on, like instead of num- numbered tables, they were movie genres. Right. Yeah, and one was Americana, which isn't like a normal genre, but I was in love with it because I came up with it. But American, <laughs> American Honey would for sure be in the top ten Americana mm. films of all time for me. Um, it just the main like the number one thing for me is that it really is about freedom mm. and the blessing and the curse that is yeah. freedom. So, yeah. I like that. I guess that's it. I mean, just watch it. It's, yeah, it's, it's really, not for everybody. Certainly not. No, it's very stylized, but it's also like very confident. Mm-hmm. There, there are a couple through lines in the movies that I loved this year, and one of them is that they were all very confidently yes. made. Bold vision. Yeah. So I totally can see someone just not liking it at all. Yeah, I guess if you're like because an hour into it's specific. it, you don't need to watch the next two hours. Like, right. Nothing, yeah. nothing big is going to happen. Right. right. No, it's not a happen. No. Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not. It's not a plot heavy movie. Um, I approve. My number eight uh, is... 
a movie I was kind of underwhelmed by. And as I said at the top, you know, just discussing the, the year in film, I had a hard time evoking much passion for some of these lower ones on my list. But this is another one. And I, I mean, having said that, I did really like American Honey and Rogue One. But my number eight is Manchester by the Sea. Hmm. It's just a movie that I... <laughs> Nathan's making like barfing. <laughs> I'm kidding. I thought it was great. <laughs> it is. It's not a movie that I. Lo- well, I mean, most people aren't gonna be like, I loved that movie. I want to see it again and again. But it it doesn't inspire a lot of passion in me. But I appreciate I the fuck out of it. I think for sure it's the best original screenplay of the year. And there were a lot of really great original screenplays this year. I think Kenneth Lonergan. That's the the biggest asset of the film is is its screenplay. Agree. And just the humanity and the just the human experience and grief and how even in all of that tragedy or sorrow there's humor which is true to life and yeah and it's really funny i laughed a lot at me the movie, too which yeah. obviously i cried a lot too and had all the feels um, my main issue coming out of it was i think totally intentional is that there just wasn't any catharsis which is again true to life like yeah. there it, there isn't that release like even the like big showdown you get between the two characters, the Casey Affleck and Michelle Williams, which all the performances are fantastic, though my favorite in the film is probably Lucas Hedges as the nephew. Um, like, you just don't get the release from their confrontation. You, you just don't get it. There's not enough change in the characters to really make it seem like a, <laughs> now Scout is just racing around. She, she, I mentioned Casey Affleck him. and there she went. Well, I'm with you, Scout. Yeah. It was just so meticulous in, in setting up the place and the environment and yeah. all the tertiary characters are so well-drawn and lived in. And yeah. it, you get such a sense of place really from minute one. And that really helps and kudos to Kenneth Lonergan and his direction and the script, obviously. Um, yeah, it's devastating, but worth watching and I respect it a lot. I agree. And shout out to, I agree, I think Lucas Hedges was my best in show for that movie. Um, and shout out for what I think is one of the best acted scenes of the year, which is the scene where he has the, the panic attack yeah. with the refrigerator. As someone who has had a panic attack more than once in her life, like it was so real that it started to make me feel anxious watching it yeah. because it was so well performed and so honest and what triggered it, everything about it. That scene was astounding and one of the best depictions of grief. That I've seen. Absolutely. So, yeah. And I loved just also just the structure of it. Like there's something that happens in the middle that's like a flashback that mm-hmm. you wouldn't get from the ads we discussed after you <laughs> yeah, saw it that no you idea had no that idea was, was coming. coming. But I also think the movie, <laughs> movie didn't even need to tell you that. Like I didn't think we were ever going to learn what the incident was. Right. And that it still worked totally fine. But even getting it, it should be too much or melodramatic, but it's it's not. It, yeah. It, it all worked. I think what this movie makes me realize about this year is that, like I was saying before, that I have a personal connection to so many movies, Mm -hmm. but I think part of it, maybe even more of it, is that there are so many just solid movies. Not movies that are movies for the ages or I'm so in love with, but I consider this movie great. And it's not in my top ten. It's not in my honorable mention. It's not on my long list. Yeah. And it's not the only one that's like nowhere to be found. But I still think it's a great movie. Same. It was. It was on my long list, but it didn't make my top 
20. Yeah. Despite really liking elements and agreeing. Yeah, there are a lot of... The screenplay, the performances. I mean, Casey Affleck can go fuck himself, but (laughs) that's neither here nor there. Um, What's your number eight? So my number eight is basically an autobiography about me. Kreisha? No. (laughs) 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 That's later. That's 20 years from now. No, <laughs> it's not really, but yeah. it is the, the edge witch. of seventeen. The <laughs> witch. Oh, the witch is my number eight. Mm-hmm. Um, I love horror. Mm-hmm. I love good and bad horror. I like it on one extreme or the other. Me too. Which is not unlike how I like my cinema. I've come to realize either and like your men. I really like yes, either really great or just really terrible, shitty. <laughs> um, but the witch is. Just a master class in building atmosphere and suspense. It is meticulous in all of its crafts. It's yeah. recreation of the time period. Um, it does one of my, as someone who, not unlike Nathan for sure, has like a complicated relationship with religion and religious extremism. Um, it really uses that to the best of its ability while also like being the real horror it is the real yeah. horror it is and while also being like a subtle critique of how religious extremism particularly affects young women mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the development of womanhood and the impact of that and it had like the, one of the most creepy chilling reveals <laughs> or moments <laughs> In a film that I've seen in a year that, like, I still, when I think about, just, I won't spoil it, but just that image. But it's still so satisfying, too, just because it's, it's good cinema. Right. And it's also, like, kind of funny. There's, like, a camp mm-hmm. element. And, yes. And because they've been building the tension for so long that that moment is both chilling and kind of a release, which is what good horror should be. That's why people love horror films is because there is something cathartic about the release you get of being scared and the, the payoff of it. Um, so yeah, I just, I loved The Witch. I still think about it a lot, particularly that scene, but the performances again are much better than would need to be in a horror film, uh, with Kate Dickey and Ralph Ennison and, and what's her name? Una Taylor-Joy? No. Anya Taylor-Joy. Anya Taylor-Joy. Um, just solid all the way around. I'll never look at a goat the same way. Black villa, black villa. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never look at twins the same way, no. which is hard because like my mom is, is a twin, so I can't look at her and my aunt anymore. But uh, yeah, so the, the witch word is deliciously. Nice. Deliciously. Also, I would like to say that a certain voice performance in The Witch really ruined a moment in silence for us, or made a moment. <laughs> I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna ruin it in silence. Jesus speaks has a voiceover. No. And the person who voices it is the same as the person who voices Black Philip in The Witch. And it <laughs> is it actually? It's not. A- I don't okay. know. I didn't look it up. But it <laughs> that sounds. Would be but it sounds literally the same. It does. So, the whole time Jesus was speaking, I just it was already a cheesy and terrible choice. But I just like the whole time I just kept thinking of The Witch and cracking up. And as effective as it is in The Witch, that's as ridiculous as it is in Silence. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Totally. Um, so that's my that's my number eight, kind of a fun one. Great. Um, and I think we're back to you. We are for number seven. seven. Um, speaking of horror and your autobiographies, my number seven is Krisha. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, uh, very, very small indie film. Uh, it 
won a lot of like debut director awards for Trey Edward Schultz. This was his first film, and it's very much a labor of love. It's really just a character study of a middle-aged woman named Krisha who is a mother and an aunt and uh, has lots of substance abuse problems and mental health issues and... Um, it just it starts with this very haunting just image of her that it slowly zooms in on and then from there there's a long tracking shot of her um, finding and entering a a family home she's there for Thanksgiving it's a well-worn plot that you know family with issues gets together for Thanksgiving and uh, as the evening goes on you learn like what the troubled past is and all this business but it's it's such a powerful debut um, he clearly is wearing a lot of influences on his sleeve of other filmmakers and other movies that have come before in of various genres um, but it's still it works and it's such a vibrant lively debut um, Krisha is actually the, the actress that plays Krisha is actually the filmmaker's aunt and his I mean almost the entire film I think is populated with his friends and family except for one male performance is a, is a professional actor um, but she, Krisha Fairchild, his aunt is unbelievably good. Like it That's was, what I've heard. it's like, where did this woman come from? It's, it's so, I mean, it, it just makes me think that this is that woman. Like yeah. she must have these issues. It's, it's unbelievable. The second best performance in the film is actually his mom who plays his aunt in the film. And she is, they have such great chemistry that you'd probably only get from actually knowing each other your whole lives. Right. But it's shot and scored and edited mostly like a horror film but it's it gets you so into the mindset of this woman who's having issues but it's still grounded and related and god it's affecting and the score is so unsettling it it's like more unsettling than johan johansson's score for sicario and it just gets you into this mood perfect that just unsettles you and unhinges you but it's so so gripping um, I'm really looking forward to his next film, which I love the title, and I love even more so the poster. It's called It Comes at Night, and it's got Joel Edgerton, Carmen Jogo, yes. Christopher Abbott, Riley Keough, who we just talked about from American Honey. It's like a post-apocalyptic horror film. Okay. On yeah. board. Good for him. Of course, he's a, he's a white male, so he instantly, after his debut, gets money to do whatever he wants. But <laughs> at least I'm really a excited to see. Male. Yes. I'm very excited to see what he will do. It's... Similar to American Honey, this is not for everyone, but it's on Amazon. I recommend checking it out, mostly just for her performance, but it's, yeah, it, it is a film. It's, <laughs> it's something I put on while Nathan was on the couch with me doing work and was like, yeah, you can watch a movie while I work, and it distracted the fuck out of him. Cause it's, and it, it has it's stuck really with me, and I didn't even watch it. There it's you like, go. It was just like happening. It was the happening. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, it's more of what you said, just confident. Bold. Same with The Witch, just really bold. That's also a debut film, yep. The Witch. Just really bold, confident. Yep. Like, this is my vision. This is what I'm making. Come with me or don't. And I was on board. Right. Well, I think that's to me then for number seven. Mm-hmm. And speaking of debut films, and by three named people, Kelly Fremont Cray. The Edge. The Edge of Seventeen, which I think, for me, The Edge of Seventeen might have ended up being the most personal film I saw all year. Her just understanding of girls at that period of your life in high school is so real like it's definitely like buried in in some like teen movie 
not cliches, but like normal. Well-worn tropes. Well-worn tropes. And there's a level of probably sardonic dialogue that is heightened for film. But really Haley Steinfeld, first off Haley Steinfeld, I really liked in True Grit, then wasn't particularly impressed in anything else again. And now I'm like, oh no, you're really, really good. Yeah. Um, sort of like I said about Lucas Hedges in that one scene, that's how I felt about every single scene that Haley Steinfeld was in. Like, I know her, I know that character, it approaches depression and grief in a very real and honest way. Um, Woody Harrelson is amazing. Like, I laughed, but ultimately I cried. The, like, final scene where Haley Steinfeld talks to her brother about how she doesn't like herself. Like, I have felt that way. I felt that way particularly at that age. I know many of my friends have. Like, everything about it was so honest that I ended up, like, having a very personal reaction that I didn't expect going into, like, a teen comedy. Right. And I've seen a lot of people talk about, because unfortunately not a lot of people saw it. I hope when it comes to Netflix, more people watch it. You should watch it. It also is just very funny, and I think you will enjoy it. It has a very charming male romantic lead who is refreshingly an Asian American man who's mm-hmm. who is my age. She's thirty one, so that's a little <laughs> Yeah. That's Oops. a little playing a playing a high schooler. But like I mean there's there's all the like normal things you would like in a teen movie, but it, it just is something a little bit more it really looks at the complicated relationship that she has with her mother, which I have a less complicated relationship with my mother, but I have female friends who have very complicated and often sort of opposing relationships with their mom. Like Everything about it just feels real in a way that I was not expecting in a teen movie. Yeah. And I ended up being deeply moved by it. And also it ended up feeling sort of cathartic because I think particularly when you are a 17 year girl, 17 year old girl, everything you're feeling feels very isolating. It is sort of feeling like no one else feels like this or that you're wrong to be feeling this way. Because when you're in high school, it's supposed to be like best years of our lives. Ooh, football games. Like, there's this whole thing that you're supposed to live up to that I definitely did not have that experience when I was in high school and I was constantly trying to and I wanted to know... And I'm sure most don't. And it was this feeling of like, well, what's wrong with me? Why am I feeling so terrible? Why? And so it was just sort of nice to actually see that in film. I just thought it was wonderful. The script is amazing. It's actually surprisingly well shot for like a, Mm -hmm. like there are definitely Mm -hmm. clear artistic choices that went into how it was shot, which again, wouldn't need to exist in a teen comedy. Um, So I'm really excited for whatever Kelly Fremont Craig does next. Totes. I, um, one of the things I appreciated most was Haley Steinfeld's performance, which it also goes into the script and the direction, but that it, so many images of younger women that we get are so vanity bait or so performance yeah. heavy and just that there's no strain to make the character likable or like nope. oh this is a studio film i mean i don't i don't know which studio released it or produced right. it um but like that it's just trying to create a real textured character and yep she is Haley an adds, asshole through a lot yeah, of it a lot of it not likable teenage girls are assholes exactly <laughs> yeah that was refreshing and so well done i think yeah it maybe is while I didn't personally relate to most of Boyhood, I know you didn't relate to it at all. It was my number one film of, of right. that year. But I think Edge of Seventeen was maybe the same 
I just no, I, it, it I didn't really, connect on the same level. I appreciated the film though. It really like it really spoke to me as a way that like I got it. And again, I just keep thinking about that that final scene with her talking to her brother, where like I have, I am sure said those words, almost those exact words out loud to people I've cared about, especially in that time period of my life. So, yeah. I loved yeah. it. Yeah, end of 17. I thought it was great. My number really seven. Great. What is your... Number seven. Number seven. My number seven is Jackie. Nice. Hmm. Jackie. Jackie. <laughs> um, so Jackie, I had no... <laughs> I had no expectations. I love it because I'm pretty sure that's what all of our reactions were when we got out of that movie. Yeah. Like, so, so Jackie. Jackie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we need to talk about Jackie. Right. Uh, I've, yeah, I mean, this is a movie that's weird, unsettling, surprising, not Bold. words, bolds, again, not words that you normally use to describe a biopic uh, of a historical female figure like they're right. usually especially women like there's a certain way you do it and this is not the way you do it right <laughs> right <laughs> at all <laughs> and i loved that um and not that it was like edgy oh it makes it that's interesting not the right with Cresha, just yeah. like a female <laughs> yeah it's that it's character study <laughs> I have a hard time, you know, like articulating anything about it except yeah. that it yeah. was just it was and I appreciated that it was. It had an impact. And yeah. it had a massive impact and um you know, like they say <laughs> I know what you're going to say, but please finish your laughter and then say it. <laughs> There'll never be another camera. <laughs> Not another, Not another Camelot. Camelot. Not another Camelot. Oh, thank That's you. all. Well, I'll just say, it, it. this was one of the ones that was in flux in my top ten for a long time, and is no longer in my top ten, so I won't be talking about it on this. It's my number 13, so it was yeah. It was close. But um, I hate, 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 hate biopics. I really yeah. think they are the worst, and so I loved this approach. Not unlike the way like Selma, instead of being a biopic, was about a specific moment in history. Although that one was like told linearly. Right. This was so like, it was almost like a mood piece. Yeah. And about like the performative nature of, of political figures and femininity and womanhood and this particular woman. Yeah. Time in history and how history becomes manipulated for, by the way we choose to tell our stories. Right, like being a famous person and knowing you have some control over what your story might be. Yes, I mean, again, it all feels out. very timely in our current political climate. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said to you guys, like, Natalie Portman, I don't actually know if she's horrible or amazing, yep. but either way it, it works. doesn't matter. At least yeah. she went for it. Yep. And the whole movie is going for it. The yep. score is going it for matches. it. It matches. Yep. Mika Levy. At some points, it Great kind stuff. of feels like a horror film. Yeah. Right? Yeah, this is why I'm glad it was the same number as Krisha yeah. for me. For you, I, I feel like it, the other thing I forgot <laughs> to say about it, it's... Do it. it. I feel like in some ways it doesn't even really address grief. 
I mean, it addresses grief, but it's not like about grief mm-hmm. directly. Yeah, no. But yet it feels like a hallucination of grief the entire way through. Oh, sure. A lesser like, act or a lesser movie would be like, watch this actress cry because her husband, the president, but was But it's shot. not about that at all. Oh. No. But it is. I mean, the... That's the, part... Yeah. Yeah. The like subtext of course is about that and i feel like that's looming over everything in just the right way to just the right extent it's interesting totes it's interesting as people in the midwest would say it's interesting it's intriguing (laughs) it's jackie that's a movie One more I was, in this round. That's a movie I was not looking forward to at all, and then I was like, oh. I know, me too. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's to you. Me. Number six. My number six movie is a movie that I saw very recently and has not left my mind. It is a documentary, and it is I Am Not Your Negro. Um, it feels incredibly, and this sounds pretentious to say, but it feels incredibly important and timely for this specific period of our life. Um... I, unfortunately, I only like really got into the writings of James Baldwin in the last couple years because of my work. Um, And he is just so, it's going to sound offensive that I say articulate because he's a black man, but I don't mean it in that way. I mean it as a writer, like he has a real gift with language um, while also being completely unflinching. And the story of I Am Not Your Negro is a documentary um, about how he had started writing the outline for a novel he never finished about the lives of Medgar Evers, Martin Luther King Jr., and Malcolm X, three people he was friends with. And so the documentary sort of takes you through the bullet point outline that he had made for this future novel that he, he never actually wrote. And it's intercut with various interviews that oh and now tilda is really excited Racing. about i am not your negro uh-huh. um intercut with interviews that he gave um as well as interviews with malcolm x and 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 martin luther king jr um his actual like letter that he had written with this outline is read by samuel l jackson which i thought would be really distracting but actually samuel l. jackson doesn't is very like deep and um, methodic and like I would if I didn't know it was him I wouldn't even know have known it was him so it was actually yeah, just watching fit, the trailer I didn't realize that it was him speaking it it's it's almost hard to talk about because it's profound and it's profound in the way it examines um, the deep deep racial wounds that still plague this country and that always will. And things are scarily prescient. Um, I mean, there's so many moments that I wanted to like write down because it was so beautifully said and also because of its impact. But one of the things is he talks about um, after JFK, I forget who it was, but someone was like, maybe some year, 40 years in the future, we'll even have a black president. And James Baldwin says, which of course, knowing that we just finish the term of our first black president. Um, But what James Baldwin says is so many people think of that as like, oh, it's a great thing. But what you're actually saying to us is that maybe if you're good enough, maybe if you're good enough 
in 40 years time we'll finally give you this if you work hard enough if you're good enough if you fit our mold and then you look at Barack Obama and he did have to be better of course than any other person in every aspect of his life and he still was not good enough for a good portion of the country and we suffered I know there are many reasons people voted for Trump but like racial backlash is 100% a part of it and it's just really gutting to see how little we've moved forward and how when people try to claim that race isn't important, the people who claim that are people who are coming from a position of privilege that it means. What it's saying is race is not important to me. Yeah. Not that race is not important in the grander scheme of things. Um, it's just really incredible and powerful and moving and it feels important. Everyone should have to see this. Um, to go back to empathy, it's like people need to watch this to have empathy for what the black experience has been in this country. And we like to try to remove ourselves from things when, you know, the sit-ins and the violence that happened at Selma on that bridge are not that different from the violence that is happening to black lives matter protesters. Like it's all the same. And then having followed that up by like shortly before watching the 13th and then shortly after watching OJ made in America, it's just like, I kind of just want to like cry into a pillow. Um, but it's not just depressing. Like James, it's incredible to hear his words and to see the footage and it ends on a slightly optimistic note. I would just really recommend it. And I, it has really stayed with me. So I'm not your Negro is my number six. We'll definitely see it. That is my number one wish I had seen before this. Yeah. And it's, I was just reading on the Twitter that it broke box office records at the Film Society of Lincoln Center, mm-hmm. and wow. which is great. Um, and it's showing at like various places now. So we should be able to see it soon. Yeah, it's at BAM. We'll see it before. And I love myself a documentary and I love James Baldwin. You I've do. only read one of his novels but it's one of my favorites ever. Yeah. I haven't read it. It's nonfiction, which sounds much more quote unquote important, but he's brilliant. Yeah. And it's actually really amazing because I read his words, but getting to um, see him speak. Yeah. is really incredible too. Hmm. Nathan, what's your number six? My number six, dun dun dun, is 20th century women. Oh, um, I, you know, Annette Benning. Period. <laughs> That's about Moving all you on. need to say. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> I thought. I mean, this this falls into my one of my favorite genres, which is you know. I don't even know how to describe it, but like, small fam. Small family dramas, intimate, mm-hmm. I guess, yeah. is what I mean by small, intimate family dramas that are have indie cred and mm-hmm. <laughs> um, are mostly driven by women. And so that's like number one, but also it was just refreshing in so many ways to see, I mean, Elizabeth's favorite term, a real woman. <laughs> I know we're usually talking about like 
body type and whatever. But I also think Wait, I don't talk about that. I hate that. No, phrase. no, I, I know. Oh, okay. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. Like it's oh, okay. You mean so? I miss sarcasm. 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 Sorry. No, that's alright. I just want to. It was like your least that the podcasters know. I don't believe in the every woman who has a body is a real woman's body. Yes, anyway. Elizabeth's favorite phrase. She's always going around being like, "That's a real woman. That's not a real woman." <laughs> I mean, like, ex machina, not a real woman, because she's a machine, but... Otherwise. No, I mean, like, a well... Like, a well-drawn woman... Yes. Who... Women. Women, yeah. Yeah. But where it's not... It's also not, like... I don't know how to... I mean, I'm not a woman, so it's hard for me to even understand why it's refreshing... But it it's not like inherently tied to you know getting this particular man or the, it's just like right. someone living a life and it's mm-hmm. a believable life and it's fucking well acted. Yeah. And I love. I usually don't like voiceover, but I thought the voiceover was so effective here, and yeah. I thought their treatment of mortality was like mm. spine tinglingly good and. Uh, yeah, it was just, it, it was full of hope, too, in a weird way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and still that undercurrent of, in, like, melancholy. In like, in, like, the same way that she feels hope when she's watching Jimmy Carter's speech, and no one else that. does. Yeah. It's like, the, the mel- like, you know, the reality might be less hopeful, <laughs> but we still find hope in what we need to. Yeah. Absolutely. Well know. said. I like that. Um, I shot this screening in the foot by having one margarita beforehand. Literally one. I should again. not. I, I definitely need to. I, I had one too, and I loved it. Well, you can tolerate your liquor better than this lady. <laughs> oh, just an update. These Triumph martinis are fantastic. Fantastic. Um, but it's. And this is also partially the film. It's such a memory piece, and especially with the voiceover mm-hmm. that you're talking about, that it's so much. Even the film and the filmmaking is like commenting on the past. Even when like in the in the film at the moment it's the present, it's yeah. still like commenting and critiquing and exploring. Which is why things the treatment of mortality happened. works. Right, and absolutely. The f- sort of futuristic voiced over. It does, but it feels like whatever. such a memory piece. And having had that margarita and a half, whatever I had beforehand, just the oh, second. Oh, it's it, a margarita. And a well, because I finished the, your second one. I know. By the time we talk about this movie again, it'll be like well, I was at my five. five After my third pitcher of margaritas, <laughs> I was loopy. Um, but it's such a memory piece that even the second it was done, it felt like it it had taken place in 1980 or whatever, like 19, whenever, yeah, 79. 79 or something like that. It felt like it, it, it was my memories and I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't tangibly grasp what it was, but I loved the experience of being in that milieu for yeah. an hour and a half. I just wanted to say milieu okay. in a French accent. <laughs> um, and the performances are all really astonishing. Yeah. I mean, Annette Benning, period. Like you said, I, that's all you need. Love her. We'll talk. I'll, I'll talk. I'm not going to talk much now because I'll talk more about that movie Fair enough, later. That to sneak me? peek. It's to you. It's to me. My number six to end out uh, part one uh, is another film similar to number my number eight, which is Manchester by the Sea. That I don't love this movie, <laughs> but I just could not make a top ten that didn't include this movie because it was so fucking solid. It is just solid filmmaking and storytelling. It's Hell or High Water mm. uh, by mm-hmm. David Mackenzie, written by Taylor Sheridan, who such a good screenwriter he also wrote 
Sicario. Yeah. Um, and it's similar to American Honey. <laughs> yeah, now you now you like it a little bit. You I haven't like even seen, You haven't even seen Hell or High Water. It's a Western, um, isn't it? Basically, which is why I should hate it. Yeah. It's like Cops and Robbers. Yeah. No thank you. I'll pass. Right? But it's so I'm good. I'm just kidding. No, no, I've heard so nothing good. but good things. Yeah. I know I yeah. It's so solid. <clears throat> um, and similar to American Honey, David McKenzie, I think, is... Irish or Welsh or something like yeah and just that outsider perspective commenting on America and it's such an old-fashioned throwback genre but it comments so much on the now and yeah like the, I think that's why I didn't like and, hate it <laughs> right because I hate westerns <laughs> oh my least favorite genre hate and there are them. so many classic westerns that I cannot bring myself to watch because yeah and I know I'll like them similar to this but yeah. I had to because of the Oscars of it all this is a movie that at some point, I, I was on a long walk back from BAM to our apartment, and I was talking to my dad, and he was like, oh, Hell or High Water, your mom and I both loved it, A+. And I, and I had barely heard of this movie, and I was right. like, what are you talking about? And he was like, it should definitely be in the Oscar race, and I was like, you are a crazy old man. <laughs> sure enough, finally saw it like a few weeks later uh, on my own while we were in L.A., and I was like, okay, yep, sure enough, that is a yeah. pretty solid, fantastic movie. Did not think a second thought of it, but by the time the year was over... It you couldn't shake it. It was it was a you couldn't ignore the quality of the film, and that's right. why it got six Oscar nominations or whatever it got. Um, yeah, that's that's probably all I have to say about it. But it, yeah. it stuck with me. It's it's well worth watching despite the western of it all. I agree, and you know it's interesting. I was just listening to like a political podcast today, talking about how part of the problem you know, fueling the divide is like a real scent of resentment on the part mm-hmm. of conservatives because at this point the left pretty much holds all of the cultural yeah. high ground. Like basically the left is the tastemakers at this point. And there is something in this movie because it does feel very of the now that it actually feels like a movie that is non-judgmentally about sort of some of the power back into yeah, and and specifically people. about like poor white communities and yeah. and rural communities that have been forgotten and neglected and so in that way it also is like a western that doesn't feel like we're just seeing like white male and anti- you know uh, why can't antihero yeah. yet again like there is something that feels like it is an important story to be told and to be told non-judgmentally, which I think is, yeah, I applaud it for. And just its characterization too. Like the Jeff Bridges character is such a <laughs> trope and a characterization. Yeah. Just, you know, the old fashioned lawman who's on his last case before retirement. Making racist who's jokes. Making racist jokes left and right. But I do appreciate too that they like don't land. Like his partner is a Native American oh, yeah. cop who it's like And he's great, that actor. Gil Birmingham. Yeah. Yeah. Really great. Um or Birmingham, I'm not sure. Um but yeah, they like don't quite land, but it's like clearly yeah, yeah you've been telling these jokes forever. I know this is part of yeah. who you the fabric of who you are and I'm just gonna Ignore let it slide it. or ignore it. Yeah. Which says a lot about their relationship, which is so great. Um, but just that, and Jeff Bridges is, is Jeff Bridges. He's yeah. so great. He's not, not Jeff Bridges, but it still works so well. Yes. And, and Chris Pine is great. I know the last like three years have been a real turnaround for me on Chris Pine. Sure. I'm have. on board for Chris Pine. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. That's my number six. That concludes our part one. That was our 10 through six. I hope you'll join us for part two, our five through one. See if we have the same number one. I don't know. I don't know. All I do know is there'll never be another Camelot.
Not another Camelot. 